You are listening to Revival Talk. I'm Pastor Terry Bailey, and I want to thank you for joining me today on the podcast. In today's podcast, we begin a study in the 23rd Psalm. This is a very important passage for this year. I want to encourage you to read and pray the words of the 23rd Psalm. If you have your Bibles this morning, go with me to Psalms 23. And I just really have titled this message, A Psalm for 2023. And I want you to understand all that is in this beautiful passage of Scripture and how it speaks to us in this year that we're facing. We talked last week about the year that's ahead and we titled the message, The Best of Times and the Worst of Times. It's going to be a year, I believe, of blessing and glory and ministry but also believe it's going to be a year of intense warfare. And I'll talk a little bit about and review some of the things that we believe that God is saying for this coming year. Psalms 23, beginning with verse 1, and I'm reading from the New King James. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness For his name's sake, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're entering into a very difficult year. It will be the best of times and it will be the worst of times. There will be storms in the government. There will be storms in the church. There will be storms in the economy. The words of Jesus in Matthew 24 beginning in verse 6 through 13 will become very real this year. You will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another and hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness shall abound... The love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. So what is God saying about this coming year? Well, we released the following words last Sunday morning. First of all, the word retribution is a key word this year. This will be a year of divine retribution. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35, and I'm going to read it from the New American Standard Version. It says, vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time their foot will slip for the day of their disaster is near and the impending things are hurrying to them. Retribution is defined as deserved and severe punishment. There's some synonyms for retribution. Recompense, and this is recompense in a negative sense because we are reaping what we have sown. There's reprisal, payback, and discipline. I love this saying and I've said it quite a few times and I'm going to keep saying it because it's a southern saying. And if you're watching and you're not a southerner, maybe you won't understand this. The chickens are about to come home to roost. We're in a time of visitation. 
And listen to me, visitation is a two-edged sword. Visitation brings miracles, blessings, and salvation, but visitation exposes those hidden things. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. The second thing that we released last year is we said this will be a year of removal. Retribution is going to result in removal. People who are in governmental offices through fraud and deceit, I'm telling you, there's a sound of justice that's coming on the earth. I believe they're going to be removed beginning this year. God is going to uncover hidden sins. Proverbs 28, 13, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Aren't you glad for mercy this morning? The third thing is resources. I've got to move on. I'm pre- we must ask God to open new lines of supply this year and trust God for new resources. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. God makes a way for us in the midst of recession, shaking, and economic uncertainty. It don't matter the price of eggs because God's on the throne. We may not can buy all that we used to buy in the grocery store, and maybe we have to move things around and and do something different. But I'm going to tell you, in the midst of all of this shaking in the economy, God is going to make a way for his people. And then the fourth thing we talked about last week was revival. This will be a year of both intense warfare and revival. Revival is the visitation of God, which brings to life Christians who've been sleeping and restores a deep sense of God's near presence and holiness. Listen to this passage in Psalms 80, verse 19. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Cause your face to shine and we will be saved. The face of God represents the favor of God. I want the favor of God. How about you? I want to see revival in this last day. How about you? So in asking God for direction for this year, I was drawn, I don't do this very often, but I was drawn to study the number 23 and its meaning in Scripture. And Pastor Troy Brewer has a book called Numbers That Preach. It's, I think it's out of date. You may can still get it in some places. Listen to what he says about the number 23. It's the number form from 10 plus 13. In the negative, it's how God brings perfect order to man's rebellion, judgment of death through the law. In the positive, it's associated with being in the presence of God. Biblical numbers can have both a negative and a positive meaning. I call them an unredeemed and a redeemed meaning. If you start looking at the number 23, now from the King James Version of the Bible, the following words are mentioned 23 times. Killeth. Baptism. Leaven, hell is mentioned 23 times, all in the New Testament. Death, 138 times, or 6 times 23. Jezebel, anybody heard of her? Is perhaps the most evil woman mentioned in God's Word. She's referenced 23 times in the Word of God. This is a year for Jezebel to be exposed and the Jezebel spirit to come down in Jesus' name. The positive meaning of 23 is the presence of the Lord. It means God is with us. Do you know the 23,000th verse is found in Zechariah 8, verse 23? Listen to what it says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
In those days, ten men from every language of the nation shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Exodus 23, 23, my angel will go before you. Jeremiah 23, 23, I'm the God who is near. Matthew 1, 23, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So this is a year for the presence of God. Yes, there's going to be a doubt, divine retribution. Yes, there will be removal. Yes, there will actually be death in this year. But I've come to tell you that in the midst of all of that, God is with us and we're going to have his presence and know him like we've never known him before. And a very key passage of scripture this year is the 23rd Psalm. We must commit this psalm to memory and use it during times of prayer. One source I read says Psalms 23 is the most well-known, popular, and beloved of all the psalms. King David, who wrote it, sings of God's protection, guidance, refreshing, abundant blessing, and promise of eternal life to those who love him. Charles Haddon Spurgeon aptly called it the pearl of the psalms. Francis Dixon, a preacher from England in the early 1900s, said, This psalm is undoubtedly one of the best-loved passages in the Bible. Whoever we are, wherever we are, and whatever circumstances we are in, it has a message for us. And look at Psalms 23, verse 4. This is the year that God is with us. Listen to what it says. For you are with me. You are with me. Hallelujah. The position of the psalm is significant. In Psalms 22, is past tense and speaks to us of the good shepherd. John 10, 11. Psalms 23 is present tense and speaks to us of the great shepherd. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. And Psalms 24 is future tense, speaking to us of the chief shepherd. 1 Peter 5, verse 4. But this morning I want to examine these first couple of verses in this psalm and talk to you about what it is saying to us in this time and in this season as we pray the words of this psalm. Notice this verse reads, the beginning with, The Lord is my shepherd. That's relationship. The Lord is my shepherd. That's personal. He didn't say the Lord is Israel's shepherd. He didn't say the Lord is the New Testament church's shepherd. He didn't say the Lord is somebody. He said the Lord is my shepherd. It's personal. <laughs> Glory. You see, when we read, and pray the words of this beautiful psalm, it becomes very personal to us. Lord, you are my shepherd. You are my shepherd. You see, Jesus did not leave the splendor of heaven. He did not leave the presence of the Father to come to this fallen world just to establish another religion. He came to heal the breaks brought on by humanity's sin. He went to the cross and he suffered so we can know him intimately. He died and rose again so we can be victorious over sin. He came to restore the fellowship that had been disrupted by sin. And now you and I can have fellowship with the Father because of what Jesus did at Calvary. In 1 Peter 2, 24, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Francis Dixon he writes, he said, 1 Peter 2, 24 is one of the most wonderful verses 
in the Bible. Let me read it to you again. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. That's past tense. You were healed. What does that mean? That means healing was taken care of at Calvary. That means Jesus took my disease into his own body on the tree. Hallelujah. By his stripes we were healed. We just have to appropriate it by faith. We have to believe it. We have to accept it. We have to receive it today. Jesus took our place on the cross. He bore the punishment that was due us because of our sin. And in John 10, 11, I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Luke 19, 10, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I've come to tell you the Lord is my shepherd. He is a personal Lord and you and I can know him today. You see, being saved is more than just coming and shaking the preacher's hand and getting your name on the roll and saying, well, I'm a, I'm a member or I've been baptized or I've been through confirmation. Being saved is an experience with God. It's where you invite him to come into your heart and into your life. And he comes in and he takes residence and you get into a relationship with him. You remember that old song, he walks with me and he talks with me. Anybody remember the words of that? He walks with me and he talks with me. Listen, he wants to walk with you and talk with you. He wants to lead you and guide you into all truth. He wants to have a relationship with you. We don't just use prayers like an emergency button. I'm in trouble, I better pray. Prayer is the way I communicate with my father. In John chapter 1 verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. For 13 years, Beth and I lived out of state, lived in Maryland. And there weren't many days within that 13-year period that my father-in-law didn't call me. Matter of fact, my mother-in-law told me every evening he'd sit down and he'd say, You heard from the kids today? No. He'd get his phone out and he'd call. Listen, your heavenly father wants to hear your voice. He wants to communicate with you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to talk to you this morning. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, here's the thing about a shepherd. Shepherd will go looking for the lost sheep. And sheep are a mess. They'll get into things. They'll wander off. They'll fall into ditches. And I'll tell you, the shepherd, according to the Bible, he'll leave the 90 and 9 and go find the one that's lost. See, when you was lost, when you was without hope, when you was out there by yourself, the shepherd was looking for you. Some people talk about, I found the Lord. No, it was the shepherd who found me. The Bible says, all we like sheep go astray. But aren't you glad there's a shepherd and he comes looking for you? Hallelujah. And there's some people he's looking for this year. There's some people that you and I have prayed for and believed for and cried out for, and he's looking for them this year. Am I preaching okay? You see, the key that unlocks this whole psalm is the opening words of verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. He is a shepherd, but best of all, he's my shepherd. Is he your shepherd? It is only when we know him that the blessings of the rest of this psalm become ours. It's possible to know this psalm without knowing the shepherd, but it's better to know both. But then notice verse 2, or the latter part of this verse. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The New Living Translation says it this way. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. I found this in the Blue Letter Bible. It says, to lack, the word lack there, I shall not want, means to lack, to be without, to decrease, to be lacking, have a need. But the scripture says, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all I need. What a promise. What a promise in a, in a time of economic uncertainty. 
Man, we just don't know what the news is going to hold. We don't know what the stock market is going to do tomorrow. We don't know what our retirement accounts are going to do. Are they going to be up or down? We, we just don't. We're like we're on a roller coaster. We don't know what inflation is going to do. We don't even know if we can even trust our government to give us the, the real figures of what's happening. But the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have all I need. Look at Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We must pray and ask God to unlock our provision and establish new lines of supply. We must pray the words, I shall not want. I have all I need. Lord, you are my shepherd. <laughs> Hallelujah. I know you. I know who you are. I know your voice. You are walking with me through every step of this life. No matter what comes into my life or what happens to me or what the storms do, you're right there with me because you promise that as my shepherd, you will never leave me. You will never forsake me, but you'll go with me even to the end of the age. And I thank you, Lord, as my shepherd, I have everything I need. Listen, we used to sing a song, he's all I need. <laughs> Jesus is all I need. If you've got Jesus this morning, no matter where you are or what's going on or what's happening in your life, I've come by to tell you that you've got everything you need. So we need to pray these words, I shall not want. I have all my needs. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all. If I say all. All you'll need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Jesus is our source today. He is our supply. He is all that we need. Listen to what Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. We can be sure our great shepherd loves us, and we have everything we need this morning. Psalms 34, 10, the young lions... Lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Glory. I'm not going to live in lack. I'm not going to live in need. I have all that I need. That don't mean that he's going to give me everything that I always want. See, we misunderstand that sometimes, and we try to use that for our own carnal desires. That don't mean that I can, go, I can just go and get anything I want. He's going to give me everything that I need. And here's the thing about the Lord. He's always more than enough. And sometimes he'll give you the desires of your heart and some of those things that you want. Psalms 84, 11, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. And listen to this. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. But notice next, thirdly, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. That's rest. There's relationship. There's resources. But then there's rest. Psalms 23, verse 2, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Philip Keller writes in his book, A Shepherd's Look at Psalms 23. The strange thing about sheep is that because of their very makeup, it's impossible for them to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. Number one, owing to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they are free of all fear. Number two, because of the social behavior within a flock, sheep will not lie down unless they are free from friction with others of their kind. Number three, if tormented by flies or parasites, Sheep will not lie down. Only when they're free of these pests can they relax. And fourthly, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. They must be free from hunger. It's significant that to be at rest, there must be a definite sense of freedom 
from fear, tension, aggravations, and hunger. And here's what the scripture says. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. This is the rest of faith. Hebrews 4, 9, and 10. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. We are to rest in faith. 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And according to Exodus 33, 14, we find rest in the presence of God. Dallas Willard writes, he said, What kind of sheep lies down in green pastures? A sheep that has eaten its fill. If a sheep is in a green pasture and she's not full, she'll be eating, not lying down. When you see sheep laying in the field, they're satisfied. They're at rest. Listen, this world's going to shake like nobody's business this year. We're coming up on the end of the age. We're in the last days. Things aren't going to get better. They're probably going to get worse. You're going to hear all kinds of things. You, and if you allow the news to influence your thinking, you'll be filled with fear. You'll be filled with anger. And you'll be filled with anxiety. But I've come by to tell you, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. And in the midst of a world that is shaken, we're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And our great shepherd who loves us and knows us and knows what we need is going to bring us into a place where we're satisfied, where we have the peace of God. And he's going to say, I want you to rest you said wait a minute how can we rest when the world's coming apart because the one that we love and serve is on the throne and he's in charge of the affairs of humanity and he's not moved by what's happening because he's already been in tomorrow he's already been in your next week he's already been in your next year he says I know the plans that I have for you says the Lord give you a future and give you hope so why not pray he makes me to lie down in green pastures do you know the opposite of fear is not faith? The opposite of fear is peace. What does this mean? He makes me to lie down in green pastures. I have perfect peace. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. But notice lastly this morning, and we'll continue this, he leaves me beside the still waters. That's refreshing. There's resources. There's relationship. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want their resources. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. That's rest. I can just rest in him. But then I want you to notice lastly, there's refreshing. He leads me beside the still waters. Contemporary English version says this. He leads me to calm water. Another translation says... And you could translate it this way. He leaves me beside quiet waters. I used to water ski. Grew up on Lake Hartwell. We had a boat. But we would water ski. We'd take that boat out and we'd water ski. And we would always go out and we would find a cove somewhere that was quiet. We'd find one that had where the water wasn't very troubled. You know, if you get out in the main water and with the waves, you're just jumping and bumping. And we'd find a place and we'd... We'd spend half a day in that one cove just pulling one another around that cove and, and skiing. It was something about water that was still. The shepherd leads the sheep to still waters. Do you know that when sheep wade into running waters, their coats can become wet, causes them to lose their balance. Sometimes they fall into the water and they drown. And Philip Keller, who was a shepherd himself, he, he wrote this. He said, when sheep are thirsty... 
they become restless and they set out in search of water. And if not led to good water supplies of clean, pure water, they will often end up drinking from the polluted potholes where they pick up such internal parasites and other dangerous germs. And in precisely the same manner, Christ, our good shepherd, made it clear that thirsty souls of men and women can only be fully satisfied with their capacity and thirst for spiritual life when it is quenched by drawing on himself. Listen to Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. In John chapter 7, Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles. He's at the temple. And he sees all of the ceremony that takes place. He sees all the tradition and all of the, the empty religious rituals that are going on. And listen, it says this. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Jesus has living water today. You remember he, in John chapter 4, he went to Samaria. And Jewish people didn't go to Samaria. Jewish people would go way out of their way to go around Samaria, and they didn't mix with the Samaritans. But Jesus went to Samaria, and he set himself up next to the well of Jacob in Sychar. And he sent his disciples into the city to buy food. And a woman came, and Jesus broke every rule of the day to speak to this woman. Number one, a rabbi didn't talk to a woman. Number two, a Jewish man, especially a Jewish rabbi, would have nothing to do with a Samaritan woman. And then, to make all matters worse, this woman come at the hour when other women didn't come because this woman was an outcast and this woman had a bad reputation. And Jesus said, draw out of that well and give me something to drink. And she said, you being a Jew, say to me, give me to drink. You being a Jew, talking to me, a Samaritan, I'm from the wrong side of the tracks. I don't fit into your society. I'm not part of your culture. And you want me to give you a drink? But look at verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. <laughs> the world will give you polluted water. The world will give you water that spiritually will bring parasites. Be careful of what you take in spiritually. Jesus said, if you'd ask of me, I'd give you living water. I don't know about you this morning, but I want living water. Listen to what he says in verse 14. Whoever drinks of this water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give with will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. He leads me beside the still water. 